Yes, friends, you are at the Wild at Heart podcast. The new music is an intentional choice. We are three weeks into a series on sacred rhythms, on what we've been calling a rule of life, healing patterns to our day. And we just realized, let's frame the opening of your experience with us every week in this way, towards these ends. So come in in a more gracious way, come in in a more peaceful and centering way. So let's begin with two simple things. Let's release everything to God. Let's ask Jesus to restore our union and then we'll be in a much better place to receive today's podcast. So Jesus, I release everything now. I release my day. I release all people. I release the chaos, the pressure, every project. I give everyone and everything to you, God. I give everyone and everything to you. Just take a moment of release, friends. And Jesus, I pray that you would restore our union, that you would heal and repair my union with you. Restore our union. Nourish me through our union. Heal my humanity through our union. So welcome back, friends, here in the week of September 19th. Blaine, welcome back to the studio. Thanks, Dad. Good to be here. (laughs) It's good to see you again. We are picking up with the third installment in a conversation about sacred rhythms, healing rhythms, rule of life, daily practices that we all need. And so if you haven't heard the first two, you might want to pause this one and go back in your library and pull out the other two first, but welcome, welcome everybody. Just by short way of review, we've been talking about what a fatiguing place the world is. (laughs) And it's just good to name that and just say the world you live in is draining. And it's not just you, right? It's not just you, Mary. It's not just you, Dave. It's not just you, Steve and Margaret. Like it's, no, this this is what it does to us. That's putting it kindly. I feel so much compassion for our poor listeners <laughs> tuning in today. The world that you live in, it's like you live alongside and partly in the world, which is not it's not the painted background of a stage. It's a strategy to destroy humanity. And not too long ago, it's one of the audiobooks that we have on repeat in our short queue. So we were back in Lord of the Rings land. And 
he has this amazing line during the Siege of Gondor, which is, the enemy's best weapon is far swifter than hunger. It is despair. Mm. And I just went, the world is a draining place. You're all fighting despair in many disguises, bodily fatigue, boredom. Confusion. Confusion, the daily grind. But underneath it, you are up against sophisticated stuff. It is very hard. Yes. Yeah. And then the unholy trinity, how it all works together, the world, the flesh, and the kingdom of darkness, you know, are all interplaying because the world plays upon the false self and all its base yes. desires and things like envy and anger and lust. And the world is merely the puppet of the enemy. And by the way, Blaine and I, we did a phenomenal series on the world. I was in part of that, I think. Many years ago. I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I pulled out Thomas Merton's The Wisdom of the Desert. So this is his book. It, once you get past the intro, it's just quotes. It's just sayings from various different desert fathers. Um, but the introduction, this is, this is the opening of his, his offering to Christendom. Merton says this, in the fourth century AD, the deserts of Egypt, Palestine, Arabia, and Persia were peopled by a race of men who have left behind them a strange reputation. They were the first Christian hermits who abandoned the cities of the pagan world to live in solitude. Why did they do this? The reasons were many and various, but they can all be summed up in one word, as the quest for salvation. And what was salvation? Okay, he goes on to say, society, which meant for them pagan society, limited by the horizons and prospects of life in this world, was regarded by them as a shipwreck from which each single individual had to swim for their life. <laughs> the world is a shipwreck, but it's more than that. It's a siege. It's a scarlack pit from Star Wars. It's all that, right? And so we've been wanting in love and in kindness to entertain a series of conversations and examples and prayers and practices like we just did here at the intro to bring us into deeper habitual experiences, practices of God. And I think I said in the first, maybe it was the second installment, Blaine, that the mistake that people, we all make in a, in a crazy, crazy busy world like this is trying to fit a little bit of God into a busy life. Right. Because the margin goes away. <laughs> and you Mercy. said, I mean, yeah, we, we have you know, nothing but compassion, friends. Right. I think the mis the underlying mistake is to believe that the everyday life of the world is basically compatible with life abiding in Jesus. And to view all the people we admire in our history, our ancestors, as exceptions to the rule, rather 
and the parade examples of how life is meant to be lived. I mean, at the height of his influence, Martin Luther said, my task is now grown so great and the need so severe, I cannot pray for less than three hours a day. And that's not intercession. Luther had the older version of prayer more on his mind, which was relaxing into the goodness of God, sitting in the presence of God. It's a place out of which you do intercession and he bound demons and all of that. But that is the, that's the rule. And so, you know, we talk about the mistake of adding when life in God is largely about subtraction Mm. or replacement. Mm. And then just thinking, just thinking, you know, I am for sure the worst at this where I go, you know what? I'm going to do silence in my car now. I'm not going to change anything else about the way that I live. But when I drive, I'm not going to talk on the phone or listen to podcasts, you know? I'm not the only one who's tried this. It lasts like a week. And then the needs are so pressing, I cannot wait until I get home to return that phone call. Yeah. I'm really enjoying that podcast series. Or I just forget, right? It just doesn't work. Yes. And I have so many examples of that where I just go, maybe I can just kind of like, like, you know, one more credit card into the overfull wallet, get something in that's productive. Yep. Squeeze a little bit of God in to our crazy lives. And again, only mercy, only compassion, friends. We, we are in this with you. I think I wanted to start this week from another angle and just to reflect for a moment on what it means to be human and the needs that we all have and share. I remember Craig often saying that, he says, you know, when I'm in God, and God is in me, I really like that guy. I like me. I like the version of me that emerges from that. And he was just articulating that simple reality that I am made for union. I am made for God. And so I thought it'd be helpful if I read John 15 to us. Let's have it. John 15, beginning in verse 1, this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask 
whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Allow me a little bit more. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I really hope our friends listening did not zone out during that. <laughs> I mean, you? <laughs> when Jesus goes on a hot streak and just lays it out there, there is some meaty stuff in there, man, that my joy, that's right near the end, may be in you. That mm. the joy of the happiest being in the universe can actually be a part of your daily reality, there's a way to make that real. Sign me up, man. Totally. Totally. And that the goal is joy. The goal is pleasure. The goal is relief. The goal is happiness, folks. Like, we're not here to lay something heavy on you. That's not the point. The, the point in talking about sacred rhythms, your dailies, your habits are, are towards life. But what I wanted to reflect on to begin with today is what it means to be human. And Jesus is talking about a branch needs a vine. It, just, it has no immune system without it. it. It has no nourishment without it. Can't get the sap it needs. Can't get the water it needs. Right? It, to be human is to be deeply dependent. You got to breathe. Every moment, gang, like you just can't, there's nobody gets to escape that. Everybody's got to take a breath and then another one and then another one and go three days without water, max, right? You need water, you need food, you need sleep, you need things like love. Yes. I remember reading once the philosopher who became famous for shop classes, Soulcraft. In another one of his books, Crawford, Crawford, Matthew Crawford, he said, our problem is that we are erotic beings, meaning that life drive, we're drawn towards an infinite future without the power to get there. So not only do we need our daily freaking bread, we have an infinite capacity or potential, maybe not yet developed. Mm to give and receive love that we wake up with yeah. every morning and then try to do something about. Yeah, Gerald May, the psychologist who spent all of his life in addiction recovery, I mean, deep, deep work with really, really difficult heroin patients, you know, meth patients in clinical settings. He, he came to the end of all his work on addiction and he says, we're just craving love. That's the and he talked about waking up to that longing. So that's what triggered that that yeah, memory. Exactly. You know, we were talking in this section about what it means to be human. To be human is to be a dependent creature set inside 
natural limits. I think it's, you know, it's just fascinating to think about the introduction of humanity into the story where one of my favorite phrases, I don't remember where I heard it, is that humanity is a unity that exists in a duality, meaning humanity is made male and female and so is dependent on relationship with each other, ultimately, you know, depicted in marriage for its life. And that is just an image of the reality that we are meant to live in relationship, ultimately, with God. Which is not to say that singlehood or widowed, divorced is is a subhuman existence, but Christ points to Eden, and he points to the union of man and woman to talk about the union that every human soul is designed for with him. Yeah, exactly. Important clarification. I'm not going to call any single people subhuman on today's podcast, hopefully, but exactly. It's an illustration. And, you know, we're for the longest time, bridal theology made no sense to me. Like, why would I? Yeah. I don't understand how I fit inside totally. the bridegroom paradigm until beginning to engage the image, the reality of, oh, but I'm actually built to live my life in the kind of union with God that is pointed to, gestured towards in marriage, and that I also experience in my best moments with God, where I feel both his presence and we are relating. It's not just receiving from God. It's just, it's Mm. like that back and forth that hopefully in worship or in the mountains sometime, you've had some experiences of what it's like to live in the back and forth of the immediate presence of God. And that is the point. So if we think about the desert fathers went out desperate for salvation. They felt their souls dying in the pagan world in what was just simply called society. And then you race forward to Dallas Willard's revelation at the end of his life that salvation is a new attachment. It is the soul's union with God. That's what it's for. So if we were to remind ourselves, it's everybody, this is just prologue. We're just reminding ourselves that our deepest need in this hour is a sustaining union with Jesus, a real, experiential, nourishing, interactive, shared life, shared being. To be saved is to be permeated with Christ. Then, The point that we're making is that, therefore, we would structure our days around those things that heal and strengthen our union. Exactly. You and I talked about this offline beforehand, and then right before coming in to record this podcast, I had another conversation that was just about, hey, what's your kind of working view of spiritual formation, character change? high-level strategy, how do we get there? How do we get to the place where we're actively experiencing the joy of the Trinity infiltrating our daily lives, something that most of us never think about? 
But if we if we conclude, as we're saying here, that people are changed, they take on the nature of Jesus by directly encountering Jesus. That's how attachment is formed, receiving his love, loving him back. We then have to kind of acknowledge, well, no one, no one has enough random encounters with God to become like him, right? None of us are becoming like the barista we see once a month. There's just not enough relationship to begin talking like each other, right? We are becoming like the people that we see every day. Mm. We think a little more Mm. like they think. We talk the way that they talk. And so if we're going to, if it's the direct experience of God over time that changes a person with a couple additions inside a communal life read through the larger story, then it's really important to begin structuring our lives in the pattern of spiritual practices where we learn to relate with God over time to the point that it eventually becomes effortless. I I love in the introduction to his rule, St. Benedict has this amazing line where he says, you know, we hope to lay down nothing cumbersome, though the love of all considered may incline us towards a little strictness, though the way may be narrow at first, in time we will run as we learn the way of God's commands. Mm. That's it. That is so beautiful. You notice that Dallas Willard didn't write a book directly on the practices. He wrote a book called The Spirit of the disciplines. He was trying to write about the why. The why is attachment. The why is union. The why is I live in a world that is like Gondor at siege. And I am fatigued, distracted, wearied, poisoned, traumatized by the world on a regular basis. I I think of like Peter says about Lot, he says he was tormented in his righteous soul just by where he lived, just by the world around him. So that's our, that's our context. Our deepest need is a rich, life-giving, sustaining union with Jesus. Therefore, what are your dailies? How do you begin to build a life around that, to rearrange your life? Because as, as Blaine so helpfully said, the first, the first week of this, Blaine, you said something that cracked me up. You're like, everybody has a rule of life. You already have one, folks. This isn't like, go get one. Right. You have one. You have a daily. You have a rhythm, you have a cadence, you have a pace, you have habits, you have things you do every morning when you first wake up, you have things you do before you leave the house, you have things you do in your car or your bus, your train as you commute, you have things you do during your day, you have habits at lunch, right? You have habits at bedtime, you have habits when you get home, you have habits for your evening, you have habits right before bed, like gang. Yes. You have a rule of life, folks. We're not trying to convince you to adopt one. We're trying to show you that much of your current daily 
rhythms, your patterns, your habits are not designed to repair your union with God. Right. And by the way, out of the compassion again, how could they possibly be if the teacher never came? Yeah. Who taught you how to live? Were you ever adopted by a spiritual mother and father (laughs) who went, over the next decade or so, we're going to teach you what we know, including a way to live. Okay, this is so huge. This is so huge because we don't realize that what the disciples most got was not the teaching, was not being there for the miracles. Honestly, it wasn't. What they got was his daily. They got what it was like to be with him morning, noon, and night. It's like, wow, why is he stopping right now? Why are we all being quiet? Suddenly we're not talking anymore. Why are we not talking anymore? You know, there was just the experiential rhythms. Exactly. It's the experience and that has to be modeled, studied, learned, Dallas Willard says, you know, if we want to experience the kinds of things that Jesus experienced, we should expect that we'd have to live the way that he lived. Eugene Peterson puts it, you know, more more simply than anyone else. And he says, it is the way of Jesus, wedded to the truth of Jesus, that leads to the life of Jesus. And just that first one of What's the way? Yes. What, you know, we are formed by the pattern of activity, the environment, the inputs of our lives. Yes. And, you know, I hope that it's a relief to you if you haven't been told that before, to be told or to be reminded that the philosophers have told us we make our choices and then our choices make us. Yes. And that— there's just a there is there's a wealth of resources in Jesus to address this very need, which is to be taught what to do with our time. <laughs> yep. So, gang, I want to take a a note from the playbook of our pals over at the Bible Project podcast. We're just going to pause and play some music for two reasons. One, because that's a lot to think about already. Two, because there is a way. There is a way to treat your soul. And thirdly, because I want to give you an exercise in this moment of quiet. If you have the possibility of writing it down, do it. But you can just think about it if you're driving along right now or running or at the gym. What is your current pattern? What is your daily? You have a daily. You need to begin to name it. Yeah, what is it that I do? I do this every morning. I do this every lunch. I do this every night when I get home. What is your daily?
Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I love the translation in the message. Read that one for us, too. Yeah, here it is. Speaking of Eugene, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. There it is. We haven't seen the invitation until we put it in the context of what are your daily rhythms? What is it like to be around you? Are you frantic? Do you wake up and just blast out the door in the morning, quick cup of coffee, or your coffee is with you in, in your car as you're already going? Like, what is it like? to live under your current yoke. Right. I think that one of the great tests of this really is happiness. Mm. It's one of the great mm. one of the great human drives <laughs> to be happy. And most of us think of happiness in terms of something, you know, like a rain shower that hopefully it'll come over us. And all of the data points the exact opposite way. It is not. We become happy or we become sad over time. Mm. And a couple of books on this that are just fascinating, but just to mention briefly, to look at here, you know, would go, uh, Jonathan Haidt, a social psychologist, has a book, The Happiness Project. And he goes, you know, the happiness that we feel is the combination of our set point in our body, you know, some people are wired to experience happiness a little more easily in the body they live in, plus circumstances, plus kind of the mental habits. And circumstances, everyone agrees, is at most 10% of the equation. Other people, it gets smaller and smaller. And it just goes, yeah, so let's call it roughly half of the happiness that we end up feeling is the product of the mental habits that we consciously or unconsciously follow. And so this invitation to a yoke, part of what got me reading and searching and all this rule of life stuff was just wanting to be happier. I wanted to be able to keep up with the happiness of my five-year-old daughter. There was a piece of research that said kids laugh on average 400 times a day, adults 10. Oh, 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 oh. oh wait. wait, hang on. The, the first part of that was so delightful, and the second part of that kind of wrecked me. So I, Kids I laugh. have emotional whiplash right now. Yeah, there right we go. Now. 400 times a day. Okay, so Blaine, yeah, the little girls, the laughter, oh my gosh, it's so infectious. Yeah, I have a two-year-old son who's, he's, got a cold right now. Colds always make me sad and angry. Uh, he's cracking up in the living room 
because he's upside down and he's laughing. And then he announces to the room, I'm upside down. And then he laughs again. And then, <laughs> uh, and I just looked at that and went, wait, 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 wait. Is that a real option? If hmm. if circumstances aren't a factor, hmm. but it's actually the way that we live. I mean, they hmm. are, but it's so small. Hmm. And part of Jesus's promise here, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace is, wait, you can teach me? how to live with more joy. Yes. More is available. Yes. I, I am seriously putting my hand up for that offer. Yes, exactly. It's back to John 15. I've told you this. I've told you to remain in me, abide in me. Last time you you explained to us the word may know. Make your home in. It is literally the same word when the disciples meet Jesus and they say, hey, where do you live? Where's your house? What, what apartment are you in? Same word, may know. It's where you live. He says, live in me. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may overflow. So the habits, the patterns, you have a, you have a rule of life, friends, you already got one. It's not working. The idea is to begin kindly, slowly, graciously, with simple changes. In, I, would just, I would suggest start with your morning and your evening. Right, and I'm just highlighting before you go on, simple changes, simple substitutions. Yes. Not simple, start with, don't start with small additions. Thank you. You said it, small changes. Substitutions, I like that. Simple, sustainable changes, swapping out some of your current rule. And again, I would recommend morning and evening to start with because that's accessible to you and it's not under, for most of us, it's not under the rule of someone else. You know, work tends to be, your commute tends to be, you know, it's just once you step out the door, it's chaos. So an example, I, I was chatting with a, a really brilliant guy, PhD guy, loves Jesus, loves to study, loves to study. And I was really, he reads scripture every morning. He's on the, you know, I want to read through the Bible in a year kind of thing, which I personally have never been able to sustain. So that's not sustainable for me, but it's his deal. It's part of his way. It's part of his habits. But then he confessed that the first thing he does is check the news. Because ever since COVID, he is scared that he is going to miss a significant global event that is unfolding in the world. I mean, th this is this is trauma, right? It, it, right. Yeah, the fear is there now. And so he's got to check the news every morning for more than a moment. He's, he's kind of in it for a bit. And then he goes into his time with God. And I just suggested... That that's not helpful. You're or, you're already gone. Your soul is already in the world, isn't it? Is I mean, so much compassion. I get it, but it's the equivalent of going to your roommate and being like, "Hey, scream in my face as loud <laughs> as you can, and then I'm going to go experience God in the stillness." Scream bad things in my face. Exactly. Neg negative things, painful, heartbreaking things. Yeah. 
So I just made, here's a simple swap. Don't look at your phone for the first 20 minutes of your day. Your first 20 minutes of your morning. Don't look at your phone. It's not helpful. You left it outside your room because you don't take your phone into your bedroom at night, everybody. You don't don't have your phone next to your bed. Get an alarm clock. And then don't look at it first thing in the morning. Instead, he had a good rhythm. He just needed to get rid of the unhealthy one. So simple daily choices. And it was really beautiful because he he texted me immediately the next day. He's like, changing, loving it. Thank you. You know, I'm going to say this as often as we talk about rule. I'm just going to say, don't do it alone. The more people who know what your rule is, mm. and if they, if you're married to that person or you live with them who have consented to it, the higher your chances of actually doing it. It's like one one of the superhuman powers in in your rule is we're just talking about your morning and evening habits. Is tell the people in your life, that it's the way you are planning to live, mm. it really does change things. You talk about not having your phone in your room. Yeah, th- this is not from me. What uh, a, cup, a few options for your recommended baseline practice would be, you know, you sit up, sit on the edge of your bed, and notice that God is with you. Yes. It's, it's actually the old practice of called, you know, noticing the withness of God. Notice God is with you. Thank you for this day. Many people recommend reading, you know, having a Bible nearby and reading like the shortest snippet of a psalm. I do do that, though. I don't like that part. Uh, and, and, and done, you know. Or you could, what I do is very, very easy in the morning. And I have kids, so I have to run all of this real novice. And so, you know, because I can't get up before them. They adjust to where I am. Yes. And so if I decide from now on the day starts at 530, they're like, sweet, we love that. (laughs) And I'm like, go back to sleep. So they now know that morning quiet time is a thing. They're just allowed to be up for it. So it's like, all right, get up. Phone is nowhere to be found. There's just a little sit on the edge of the bed before I rush to that. I just notice like, you are with me, God. Thank you. I love you. Then, you know, I read something short in the Bible. My mind, you know, I don't have a, the personality that makes that part of it really rich most of the time, but it's just a little orientation to reality, a proverb, yes. a, a something. Yes. And then I take out my journal. I write three things. Jesus, thank you. Just about my life in the last 24 hours, you know, meditating on each one. And all of those are moments of Stillness and just pausing, just slowing my soul down because I want to race into the day. It's so tempting to skip this. And then three hopes. Like, they can be ultra simple for the day. They can be ultimate. But just conditioning a soul that's sensitive to the love of God. Yes. And then being honest about what it wants over time. This 
This is very helpful, people. Yeah. So, Just an example of how simple this can be, but also notice the things that aren't in that structure. Right. The phone is not there. The news is not there. The quick cup of coffee as you run straight out the door is not there. The panic, the anxiety, all of that. And friends, don't forget the help of the Pause app. It's designed to help you either by just simply choosing the one minute, the three minute, the five minute pause at the end of your day and at the beginning of your day. Start your day with it. Scripture, prayer, music, kindness. It's so good. The 30 days to resilient, which the sessions, yeah, they're a little bit longer, eight minutes, nine minutes in the morning, but they are so healing and so simple to incorporate into your life. They're doable. So more to come, friends, more to come. Let's end with a moment of quiet. 